I want us to talk today about uh, effective disciple making. It's the time of year, Pastor Wade, when he gets back, uh, he'll start next Sunday with a series of vision sermons that are going to outline how we're going to Uh, continue to accomplish our vision of expanding his kingdom across the street and around the world uh, in 2017 and beyond. And so I know you're going to want to be here for those, and and I look forward to hearing them as well. And sort of to set the scene, our our goal here, if we're really going to expand his kingdom, we need a disciple-making culture. Not just a few of us making disciples, but a disciple-making culture. And what I mean by that is that every one of us are involved in the way that God designed us to be, to be investing in others and helping them become reproducing disciple makers. Uh, And so as we think about that, I want us to first recognize that rescuing men from sin is is God's great concern. Uh, A concern for the lost caused Jesus to grieve over an unbelieving Jerusalem in Matthew 23, 37, we read this. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And yet you were not willing. It breaks God's heart. It breaks Jesus' heart when we are unwilling uh, to enter into relationship with him. Because of this heart, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, uh, born of a virgin. He put on the robe of flesh and he lived uh, as a human, as you and I do, experiencing all that you and I experience. Ultimately, he suffered persecution and insult and ridicule and pain. And he went to the cross and he hung there on that cross and he gave his life willingly for you and for me. He died and he was buried and raised from the dead. In order that you and I might have forgiveness of our sins, might have an intimate personal relationship with God through His shed blood and resurrected body. The Son Himself came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Holy Spirit gives to those who believe the washing of regeneration and renewing according to Titus 3.5. So we see that the Full Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are actively involved in drawing men to salvation. God's concern for redeeming mankind didn't begin when He sent His Son uh, into the world, but it began all the way back in the Garden of Eden. He promised that one day sin would be destroyed, that Satan's very head would be bruised. In God's covenant with Abraham, he promised that in him, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And in his covenant at Sinai, God called Israel to be, to me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see, he desired a kingdom that would be his witnesses to the world to draw all mankind to himself. God's heart is to save man out of sin. As God's people, we're to share his concern for the lost. We see an example of this in Moses. He was so desperate for the salvation of his own rebellious people that he cried to God. But now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out of thy book which thou hast written. Willing to give up his own salvation for the sake of his people, 
he had that kind of concern for them. The writer of Proverbs reminded Israel that he who is wise wins souls. The Lord told Daniel, those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. As we move on, evangelism was a great concern for the New Testament church. Immediately after Pentecost, as that New Testament church gathered and they, and, and they worshipped together and they sat under the apostles' teaching and they broke bread together, the Scripture tells us that God added to their number daily. They were faithfully sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and God was bringing people into their number. When the first great persecution broke out during this time, we know that Saul was one of the great leaders of uh, that persecution. And as those Christians were scattered all over the known world at that point in time, they went, with, uh, they went and they shared the gospel. And we see churches being planted because of their faithfulness to share the gospel. They didn't despair over their hardship, the suffering, their circumstances. But in the midst of it, they faithfully served God. After Saul himself was converted, his own great concern for evangelism showed in his his desire to build up the very movement that he's worked so hard to destroy. That movement known as the way. You see, ultimately Paul came to a place where he says, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. In another place he wrote, thus for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He's not ashamed of the gospel. His heart was to see people saved. Paul was called to be a special apostle to the Gentiles. We see that shortly after his conversion But he also had a great heart for his own people, the Jews. We're told in Romans 9, where Paul said, I could wish that I myself were cursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. His heart's desire and his prayer to God for them was their salvation. Paul wanted everyone to be saved. And he said that I'm willing to become all things to all men that by all means some might be saved. You see the scripture is full of God's heart to save sinful man from our sins. Out of this heart to rescue men from sin, Jesus gave his disciples and consequently to you and me the the commission and the command to make disciples. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he says <clears throat> that all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. You see, our commission, our command is to make disciples. 
Because the more disciples are made, the more times the gospel is going to be shared, and the more people are going to come to faith, be rescued from their sin, and bring honor and glory to God. Now, if we're going to be effective disciple makers, which is what I want to talk about today, we need to understand first, what is a disciple of Jesus Christ? And I want to use as our text Matthew 4.19, or or 4, beginning with verse 18. If you're physically able, if you would, stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. That was all introduction, by the way. Matthew 4, beginning with verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for all that you do in our lives uh, to mold and shape us into the image of Christ. We thank you for your son, Jesus, through whom we are able to be reconciled to you. Guide our time together today now and help us uh, to uh, just receive what you would have to say to us and that we would respond to it in a positive way. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so if we're going to make uh, reproducing disciple makers, if we're going to be effective at that, I think in this passage... We see some things that will help us. And first, as we define what a disciple is, if you look at Matthew 4, 19, many of you have heard this uh, uh, many times here, I hope. Uh, but we define a disciple of Christ from Matthew four nineteen. Jesus is giving an invitation. He's calling his first disciples. He says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Inherent in that invitation to the disciples is the definition that we want to use. He says, follow me. A disciple of Christ knows and follows Jesus. First of all, we come to know him in a saving relationship. We don't know all there is to know about Jesus at that point in time, but we recognize that we are desperately hopeless. We can do nothing to save ourselves, and our only hope is Jesus Christ. He is the way of salvation. And we embrace Him as Lord of our life, and He saves us. That's all we need to know at that point. But we choose to walk in obedience to Him, to follow Him, and continue to learn and grow. And so a disciple of Christ knows and follows Jesus. Secondly, he said, follow me, I will make you. Inherent in that little phrase is the reality that Jesus Christ is going to be active in your life and my life to change us. You see, when I was first saved, I needed some changing. In fact, there's still some changing that needs to take place in my life today. And probably the case is the same for you. 
Jesus is going to work in our lives to mold and shape us and change us. We become, first of all, a new creation. And then he begins to to change our habits, to change our thoughts, and to change so much about us in order that we become conformed to his image. Romans 8, 29 says that those whom he's called, he has predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, his son. He wants us to be like Jesus. Now, so many of us have gotten to a certain place in our life. We, we think that we're doing pretty well. Comfortable with where we are spiritually. And, and God doesn't want us to do that. He wants to continually be changing us in order that we become like Christ. In, Rome, in uh, 1 Peter 5, 6, the scripture tells us, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due time he will exalt you. It took me a long time to really figure out what that meant, but what I came to understand is that you and I need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand of God is seen in deliverance and in discipline in the word of God. And there are times where we need to put our sin on the table. We need to confess that to God and to man if necessary. And then allow God to use the consequences of that to bring us to a place of healing and change. To Christ's likeness. And so we need to understand that a disciple of Christ is being changed by Jesus. And then thirdly said, I will make you fishers of men. A disciple of Christ is committed <clears throat> to the mission of Jesus. So as we think about what a, a genuine disciple is, it really doesn't have a whole lot to do with the number of times that you show up in church or how much money you give. It really has to do with how committed to the mission of Jesus Christ are you? How committed to dealing with the sin and the junkets in your life and being transformed and changed into the image of Jesus Christ are you? We need to understand, if we're going to be effective disciple makers, we first must be a, an effective disciple. So as we look at this passage Having now defined a disciple, I see four things in this passage that you and I need to embrace if we're going to become effective disciples of Jesus Christ. The first thing there is that we need to understand that it begins with our calling. You and I are called by God into ministry. Now, I fully realize some of us are called into full, full-time ministry as pastors and teachers and uh, missionaries and all kinds of, of things like that, what we might call you know, full-time vocation. But every one of us are called to make disciples. And as we think about that calling, we need to understand that He first calls us to salvation, to faith in the Messiah. In John chapter 1, we find a story where John... The Baptist was with some of his disciples, and Jesus was approaching. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God. 
A couple of those disciples followed Jesus home. And then they went and found others and said, we have found the Messiah. Of course, Messiah. The Holy One sent from God, the one who is able to save. He calls us to salvation. Secondly, he calls us to witness. Fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. It is our responsibility to become a witness for Jesus Christ. The statistics will tell us that anywhere from 80 to 95% of people who call themselves Christians have never shared the gospel with someone else. The most exciting news that we've ever received and we never share it with anyone else. Well, I invite them to church. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to share the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. So he calls us to salvation. He calls us to witness. And then he calls us progressively to more specific and ever-expanding service. Which should result in disciple making. You see... God's plan is that we be conformed to the image of Christ, that we become mature. Uh, Paul in Colossians wrote this, Colossians 1.28. He said, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. See, Paul's vision was to present people mature in Christ. If we are mature in Christ, it doesn't mean that we've gotten old. It doesn't mean that we've been attending church for 40, 50 years. What it means is that we have become more and more like Christ. That we're constantly, consistently following Jesus, being changed, and effectively involved in His mission to make disciples. Lastly, in relationship to our calling, we need to understand that it's permanent. Romans tells us the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. It's not something that we do for a season. Now, the place we do it, the job that we have in which is an opportunity to pay the bills while we're a disciple making, all of those may change. But the call to make disciples never changes, even if the location and the circumstances and the people that are involved change. It's permanent. Luke 9.62, it tells us that anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy to be my follower. You know what happens when you look back and you're plowing a row? Some of you probably... Have, have done that from time to time. I remember when, when I was younger and, uh, you know, Daddy wanted the rows to be straight. And so I learned I had to find me a, a place out there in the distance. In case you didn't realize that this was before GPS. <laughs> I'm not that old. But it was before GPS. 
And so I'd find me a tree or a post or something, and, and, you, and you stay focused on that in a straight line toward that. Because if you ever look back, you're going to get off track, and your rows get crooked and twisted. We put our hand to the plow, and we don't look back. This calling is permanent. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus and remain faithful to our calling. I remember when I was serving in, in Tanzania as a missionary. I don't have any of these problems here, so it's, not, it's irrelevant here. But there were times when the nationals were more interested in how we could help them financially than they were in the message that we had. There were times when you were heartbroken over leaving children at boarding school and all kinds of things that would tend to discourage you and get you down. And ultimately, it was the reality that God had called Jerry Ann and I to be there that kept us there until he called us home. So we need to understand that when we face difficulty and trial in life, we go back, remember, it's a calling. This is not a job that you can just change because you don't like your boss or you don't like the pay you're getting. It's a calling. It's permanent. So the first thing is that we need to realize it begins with our calling. Secondly, to be an effective disciple of Christ, we must daily follow Jesus. When we make that commitment to follow Jesus as a disciple of His, that becomes a daily commitment that we need to make. What do you think Jesus meant when He said, follow me? We saw it lived out, but I think when Jesus said, follow me, He was saying, live with me and learn by watching me. How do we live with Jesus? By living in the Word. We learn how He loved, how He lived, how He served, how He humbled Himself, how He ministered. He says, live with me and learn by watching me. We can also attach ourselves to other men and women who are faithfully following Jesus and learn from them. Our ultimate teacher is Jesus Christ Himself as He relates to His church. But we can learn from other men and women as well. And then we need to always be teaching others what we know. You know, we talked about being called to witness. You don't have to have any level of education. You don't have to have been a Christian for any period of time. If you knew enough to be saved, you know enough to tell someone else how to be saved. All the other questions that they have say, hey, look, I don't know, but we'll go find somebody that does. It's okay. You don't have to know it all. So live with me and learn by watching me. He says, own my values and priorities. What do you value in life? Is it a big bank account? Is it a high-paying job or a high-profile job? Is it your family? All of those things can be important. 
But Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. What was, what was his priority? It was to disciple those men for the sake of lostness. He said, learn and become passionate for the things that I live for. There were two football games yesterday. I know none of y'all watched them or really had any interest in it. But there was probably across the United States, there was a lot of passion expressed as they rooted for the particular team that they wanted to see win. And that's well and good. But when was the last time you passionately shared the gospel with somebody that desperately needed to hear it? How committed are we to Sharing the gospel with lost people. Investing in those that need our help. You know what? I, I dream about the kind of passion in this congregation where every time somebody walks down this aisle and gets saved, that before they get out of church, someone says, Look, I'm going to spend the next year with you. And help you learn how to walk out your newfound faith. Every time somebody gets married in this church, we're going to see an older couple that comes alongside of them and says, we're going to get together once a month for the next year, and, and my wife and I are going to help you know how to be a good husband and a good wife. A godly husband, a godly wife. And that just spontaneously happens because we have a passion for the mission of Jesus Christ to make disciples we got marriages falling apart all around us. What a difference it would make if we would invest in them. So be passionate about the things he lives for. And then follow my example by doing the ministry I've come to do. Let's get serious about making disciples. That's what Jesus did. He's chosen to use mankind to accomplish his task. So we need to get serious about it. So we need to follow Jesus daily. Not just on Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday as well. It begins with your calling. We've got to follow Jesus daily. And then thirdly, we need to respond with radical obedience. Radical obedience. You know, obedience is it's a commitment to obey Jesus at whatever personal cost that might bring you. It's kind of like when you have breakfast and you got ham and eggs. The chicken makes a contribution. The pig's committed.
This is the kind of commitment Christ is talking about. That we're committed to His mission even at the cost of our life. There are unreached peoples that live in very difficult places to get to. They live in very dangerous places. They live in places where you cannot legally share the gospel without the risk of arrest or danger. But Jesus said, go, make disciples of all nations. We've got to pay the price. Even in the culture that we live in today, our workplaces and the general culture is anti-Christian. Some of us may lose our jobs. Some of us are going to be ridiculed, persecuted, made fun of. Are you willing to accept that? Not only accept it, but embrace it for the glory of God and the salvation of souls. Radical obedience. Radical obedience is immediate. Jesus said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and their father, and they followed Jesus. Have you been putting off sharing the gospel with a family member or a co-worker? Have you been putting off getting right with somebody that you're at odds with? Radical obedience is immediate. Radical obedience is costly. Look with me, if you will, at Luke chapter 14. Beginning with verse 25. Luke 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sister, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down and first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? <clears throat> and if not, while the other is yet a great way off, He sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You see the level of commitment that he's talking about there? Renounce all that you have. Are you willing to faithfully make disciples for the glory of God at whatever personal cost 
it's going to take. Radical obedience is costly. Paul suffered in many different ways for his obedience to the mission. James was the first martyred disciple that Jesus had. Stephen, as he was being stoned to death, he cried out, Father, forgive them. They were willing to pay the price. They followed Jesus with radical obedience. And then fourth and last, you must prepare your nets for effective harvesting. In verse 21, we see that the disciples were repairing their nets. You see, a a fisherman that fishes with nets, if it's got big holes and tears in it, the fish are going to swim right through. The spiritual application for that is that, that you and I need to prepare ourselves for the mission that God's called us to. This doesn't mean we all got to go to seminary. You can have a master's level education by sitting at home and reading this. When we were in uh, East Africa as missionaries, I realized that I had very little training when I arrived. And so I was learning everything from Jerry Ann. But seriously, we really didn't have much preparation. They gave us some cultural things and this kind of thing. And we realized that if we're going to represent Christ here, we need to be professional about it. And so we, we implemented a training program in East Africa where that we were equipping people culturally, linguistically, and theologically for the purpose of doing a much better job of, of sharing the gospel. Not many of them were better equipped than I was to start with. But we need to take seriously the mission that God's given us. We go to school for the purpose of preparing for our job. We study hard. We do continued education. All kinds of things. So why in the world do we not want to represent Christ at the same professional level that we would some secular company that we work for? So we need to prepare ourselves. We need to mend our nets. Now, as I think about mending our nets, we need to understand that it, you know, effective disciple-making requires personal preparation for the mission. It's God who does it in us all, but He expects us to do our part. We need to own our own personal growth and preparation for the mission. Secondly, personal preparation begins with confession of our sinfulness. Look back at at Luke chapter 5. This is a parallel passage to the Matthew 4 passage that we read. 
Matthew 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to go out a little from land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You see, every one of us have got to come to this place in life before we can be effective. Effectively used by Jesus. If I go and do it in my own power based on the education and the experience and all that I have, I'm going to fail. But when I come to a place of recognizing that I am sinful man. I don't deserve anything but death and hell. And I surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Then He can use me. And He'll prepare me. So personal preparation begins with a confession of our sinfulness. Our unworthiness. Our expectation and realization that we deserve the wrath of God. But then it moves on to include the recognition of God's grace in using sinful man. You see, if you keep going there, Peter recognizing what he really deserved, but he says, for all, in verse 9, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. You think he had a little fear on his, in his life when he was, I am a sinful man. You see, what he really expected was Jesus to pour out his wrath on him because he fully understood that's what he desired. But Jesus said, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men in God's grace. He's reached down and touched every one of us that have placed our faith in him In his lordship, he says, you're forgiven. Now I want you to be fishers of men. I'm going to withhold the wrath that you deserve. And I'm going to bestow on you grace. And use you for my glory. And then we move from there and understand that it requires a continual commitment to personal growth and preparation for the task of making disciples. If we ever get to a point we think we've arrived, we got a problem. It's an ongoing, daily, desiring to grow and become better and better at what God has called us to do. So, 
Effective disciple-making begins with our calling. When we accept and embrace that call, we follow Jesus daily. We respond to Him in radical obedience. And we prepare ourselves, take ownership in becoming effective witnesses and disciple-makers for the glory of God. There's a hymn entitled, Let the Light Let the lower lights be burning. It goes like this. Brightly beams our Father's mercy from His lighthouse evermore. But to us He gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. Dark the night of sin has settled. Loud the angry billows roar. Eager eyes are watching, longing for the lights along the shore. Trim your feeble lamp, my brother. Some poor sailor tempest-tossed. Trying now to make the harbor in the darkness may be lost. And the chorus goes like this. Let the lower lights be burning. Send a gleam across the wave. Some poor fainting, struggling seaman. You may rescue. You may save. This hymn was written based on a story that was told by D.L. Moody. The story he told went like this. A ship was coming into Cleveland Harbor on Lake Erie on a stormy night. The harbor had two sets of lights to guide incoming vessels. One set of lights was high on the cliff and could be seen for miles away. The other set of lights was down near the coastline and used to guide the ships through the rocks as they came nearer to the port. On that particular night, the wind and the rain had extinguished the lower lights, and the pilot suggested that they stay out on the lake until daylight. The captain, however, was afraid that the ship would be destroyed by the storm and decided to risk entrance into the harbor. But without the lower lights to guard it, the ship was wrecked on the rocks, and many of the men drowned. As we apply this story to Christian witnessing, Moody said... The upper lights of heaven are burning as brightly as ever they burned. But what about the lower lights? You see, you and I are those lower lights. How are they burning? Are they dim and flickering? Or is the rain and the storm of life snuffed them out? The heavenly light is beaming as brightly as it ever had. God's heart is still to snatch and save man from sin. He's chosen to use you and me. His name will be most glorified as more and more people give him praise and honor and glory. And that will only happen as you and me take seriously the mission to share the gospel and make reproducing disciples for the glory of God. Now the point of it all. When we embrace God's call to salvation and disciple making and prepare ourselves for the task, God will use us for His glory. Let's let our light shine and make a difference in the kingdom.